Friends, what a beautiful way of uh, preparing ourselves for the hearing of God's Word than to say together, I will arise and go to Jesus. Oh, friends, I hope that that attitude is what you have in your own heart this morning as we open God's Word, as we desire to hear from Him, as we desire to let Him speak to us and mold us and change us into His image and likeness. Well, friends, I encourage you to open Scripture to the book of James, chapter um, 3. I'll be reading from verse 18 to chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, James, chapter 3, verse 18 to chapter 4, verse 10. In our Scripture, in our pew Bibles, uh, the the Scriptures that we have in, in the chairs in front of you, you may find this passage on page number 1012, 1012. Here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world make him, makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you pray with me? Father, we need your grace. Even as we have just heard uh, the reading of your word, we need your grace in hearing from you through this word. Would you speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit for the glory of your Son in our hearts and in the, in the midst of this congregation? We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, the passage we just read, uh, James chapter 3, verse 18 through 10, verse um, 10 of chapter 4, is part of a larger section, of a larger unit of this, of this book. And this unit really start, started with the passage of last week uh, from verse 13 um, of chapter 3 of James, the passage about wisdom. Uh, think of that passage as started in 3.13. The unit goes all the way to 4.10. Well, this morning, I will only speak on the first two verses of the passage we read. There's so much in it uh, that for your sake and uh, for all our sake together, uh, we will just focus on the first two verses uh, that speak about the importance of sowing in peace. But as we look at these two verses, I want us to remember how this unit started. Because remember, this is 
this passage we read is part of a, of a unit of, that started in 3.13. You remember how James started uh, with a question, this unit, in verse 13? He asked the following question, Who is wise and understanding among you? Remember this question from last week? And James says, By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, James asked them to evaluate how they define wisdom and how do they know they have it. How do they know they are wise and understanding? And we saw in verses 14 through 17 that James described the contrast between two kinds of wisdom. The wisdom that is earthly, the wisdom that is uh, unspiritual, even demonic, and the wisdom that is from above. In verse 18, James gives us a promise. It's a promise about one particular conduct that characterizes the wisdom from above. So if James said, how do you know you're wise? How do you know you're understanding? He says, show it by your conduct. And now in verse 18, he is emphasizing one particular conduct of this wisdom that comes from above. It's a conduct of making peace, of loving peace, of seeking peace. And we should not be surprised by this particular conduct because in verse 17, James emphasized that the wisdom that comes from above is peaceable. So then in verse 18, he now says, those who sow in peace. You know, if we look at chapter 4, you might wonder, why is James emphasizing this idea of sowing in peace, this idea of making peace? If you look at chapter 4, uh, the text we just read, we realize why James is emphasizing the need to live in peace. Because these Christians lacked it. They didn't have it. Look at verse, verse 1 of chapter 4. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Wow! Let's pause. James is saying there's fights among them. There's quarrels amongst them. Amongst them. Sadly, this is not the only instance of divisions in the New Testament. Sadly. Remember the, the letter to Corinth that Paul wrote? At one point in the, in the well-known passage about the Lord's Supper, Paul speaks to them in 1 Corinthians uh, 11, 18. He says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And, that, and Paul says, And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you might be recognized. Interestingly, in Corinth, the factions uh, came because some people pretended to be Christians even though they were not. And you, you can't have unity, you can't have the bond of peace between people who are not truly Christians, even though they might pretend to be Christians. So the division in Corinth, in part, happened because they had among them people who were actually not true Christians. But James, in, in the letter he's addressing, he doesn't give us any indication that the divisions might be caused by the fact that there were un- or ungenuine Christians among them. In James, all the indication we have is that these people were actually believers. And sadly, even among genuine Christians, there might be times, situations, when their community, their relationships is described by division, divisiveness, quarrels, fights. 
Now, friends, let me be very clear from the very beginning. This verse should not make us to be okay with quarrels and fights in the church. Just because we see it happening in the first century does not mean that we should be okay with it happening. But this verse does show us, sadly, that fights and quarrels can sometimes describe the life of a church, of any church. It should not be so, but sadly it is so more often than not. Sometimes either young Christians or or non-Christians might come and walk into a church where they hear and see division and quarreling, gossip and slanderous things happening, and they want to walk away. Now, we would understand why, but, but for any of those who are, um, in, who are in that situation, even this morning, thinking, that, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm not going to go to the Christians, are hypocrites, look at the way they, they're not any better than the rest of the world. Well, true, we are, we are not any better than the rest of the world. But that does not make the gospel message inauthentic. Christians may not authentically show and, and, and consistently show the truth of the gospel in their relationships, but that does not make the gospel any less meaningful and powerful and worthy of it to be believed and followed. I simply say that because sometimes there are either weak Christians or Christian wannabes who are looking at the, at the sad realities that sometimes describe the church, and for the sake of that, they walk away. Friends, that will not be a good enough reason on the day of judgment to say, this is why I walked away. Because the Christians I encountered didn't live it out. The fact that we might fail to live out consistently every aspect of the Christian life does not make the gospel um, untruthful or not worthy to be believed and followed. With that said, I want to bring back to us a responsibility that we should not allow and we should not be okay with tensions in the church. Sometimes, Such reactions, tensions, factions, quarrels, fights might happen because people don't know how to talk about their differences. Reality is in every church, in any church, people come from different backgrounds. People have different perspectives, and we're not homogeneous. And sometimes our fights and quarrels happen because we don't know how to address our differences. We don't know how to talk about it in a meaningful way, in a helpful way, in a healthy way. Sometimes people may think, that the only options they have when they have differences is three. Three typical options that people have when there's differences. One, be divisive. Second, not say anything. Just not say anything. Just not say anything. Or third, leave. This morning, James gives us a fourth option. There is a fourth option. You don't have to be bound either to be divisive. You don't have to be bound just to be quiet and just sort of not address it at all. But internally just fester and and grow in bitterness and yet be passive aggressive about it. Or just leave without saying anything. Those are not the only options we have when we have differences. There is a fourth option, and the fourth option is make peace. So in peace. So this morning, I'd like for us to look at, at, this, at this passage uh, from 3.18 to 4.10, even though we will just consider and focus on the first two verses. 
Um, two major points this morning, if you like to take notes, two major points. The first one is this. Why sowing in peace? Sowing in peace brings a harvest of righteousness. Sowing in peace brings a harvest of righteousness. Look at verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And what is the meaning of this imagery of a harvest of righteousness? In the, in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, the picture of harvest was used in a number of ways. But one of the ways it was used was to point to an abundance of crop uh, that would be available, the crop, the harvest that would, would be available when the harvest came. It had this picture of abundance. So James envisions for these believer, believers an abundance of righteousness. But what is this righteousness referring to? Here in James, the righteousness James is talking about is a sweet summary or a sweet way of summarizing um, the fruits of the wisdom that he had just described. The wisdom from above versus the wisdom from below. Remember how he described what each of these wisdoms produce? Back to chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. The wisdom from below is a wisdom that feeds our boasting. So, a wisdom that you, it makes people boast or be prideful. It's a wisdom that nurtures our self-ambition and causes us to have zeal, but a zeal that often is manifested in bitterness when things don't go our way. People who are very ambitious and happy as long as their ambitions are being met and bitter when things don't go their way. This wisdom from below moves us to act upon our jealousies and to act in self-ambition and when things don't go our way, to act in destructive ways. The fruits of such wisdom, disorder, and every vile practice. In contrast to this wisdom, we saw last week that the wisdom from above does something totally different, the opposite. It's a wisdom that God gives, and instead of boasting, it produces humility. It produces love for peace. It produces gentleness. It produces openness to reason. It produces mercy and good fruit, impartiality and sincerity. And at the end of this characteristic, list of characteristics of the wisdom that comes from above, James gives us this picture of a harvest. In other words, James doesn't want these Christians simply to experience a meager fruit of wisdom. They don't, wanna, they don't want, James doesn't desire for them to, to experience the fruits of this divine wisdom just here and there. He wants them to experience a harvest of righteousness. He wants them to experience an abundance of the fruits of, of this righteousness, the fruits of this wisdom from above. Friends, can you imagine a place, whether it's a congregation or a family or a community, where this plenty of righteousness, of righteous qualities, is in abundance. Everywhere you look, you see signs of fruits of righteousness, fruits of this wisdom from above. Can you imagine Christians walking in a church, perhaps visitors walking to a place, and just sensing in every relationship they look at, they sense this love for one another, they sense this peace, this harmony that happens between believers, this care for one another. Oh, friends, 
what does it take to experience that? What is our responsibility to bring about this harvest of righteousness? Well, on one side, on one side, this harvest of righteousness comes to us from above as we seek the wisdom from above. You know, friends, we can labor all we want to have a peaceful, harmonious community, a closely knit, a close, tight community. But if we labor for that in human wisdom, in human power, in human strategizing, we'll never make it. We can, we can desire and work for that all we want. If it's in human wisdom, we will not experience it. Not for long. Perhaps for a while. As long as, as, long as we keep everybody happy. But when those differences show up and we start not to be happy then that real test of our peace is going to be examined. That's why one of the ongoing prayers that we should have as believers for one another and for our church is that we would have and seek the wisdom that comes from above. It's only as we walk in that wisdom, as we seek that wisdom from above, that we can experience the fruits of this peace, of this harvest. And yet, besides praying, there's something else we can also do. And not only we can do, we must do. Alongside praying and asking God for this wisdom from above, here's what verse 18 gives us a responsibility to do. Notice who are the people who sow a harvest of righteousness. It's those who make peace. Those who make peace. The wisdom from above puts on us a responsibility, and this responsibility is to be people who seek peace, who love peace, and who make peace. People who are bothered when our relationships are not well. And people who will do everything we can to live at peace with one another. Now, there are several commands in Scripture given to Christians for living in peace. I'm going to read some of these to you. They will be repetitive. And I want you to experience this repetitiveness. Here's why. To help you see how often this command is given and how spread out in the New Testament, especially in the letters, Paul is spreading out this, this, or the authors are spreading out this command for peace. I'm just going to read these quickly. You don't have to write them down. Mark 9, 50, Jesus tells his disciples, be at peace with one another. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Romans 14, 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 13, be at peace among yourselves. 2 Timothy 2, 22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Ephesians 4.1 and 2, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then Hebrews 12.14, strive for peace with everyone 
and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Friends, do you see how often this command was given? And do you see how clearly the Lord makes us responsible for cultivating peace among ourselves? Friends, making peace is the responsibility of every member of the church. All members of the church are responsible for cultivating peace. All Christians are responsible for cultivating peace. But, but what is peace? Let's be clear. What is peace? Let me, let me say, peace is not simply the absence of conflict or the absence of tension. Friends, if you go to a cemetery... There's a lot of peace there. There's no tension in a cemetery because people are dead. You can have what we would call peace, a place of no tension, and still not experience the kind of peace that James is talking about. There's peace because people are not talking to each other in a cemetery. There's peace because there's not even the possibility of conflict. People are not even interacting at all with one another. Friends, sometimes people try to seek peace and make peace by isolating themselves. Their way of seeking peace is by seeking isolation. Quote, just leave me alone. I'm going to stop showing up. Such people seek peace by isolating themselves from other Christians. Others may live, live in peace because they just don't care much about other people. So they, there's just not a possibility even to get engaged with one another, in interact, interacting with one another. This is not the kind of peacemaking that James is suggesting. Making peace, friends, is the opposite of acting upon our selfish ambitions. Selfish ambitions may lead us to react either in divisive ways or to react in isolation or withdrawal from others. So what is making peace? The Jewish notion of, of peace, of shalom, meant more than simply absence of, of strife or conflict. It included harmony wholeness, well-being. That's what, la what was, it's lacking, the kind of peace you would have in a cemetery. Yeah, there's no conflict, but also there's no harmony between the people there. Yeah, there's no conflict, but there's no wholeness in that community there. So making peace means restore that which has been, become separated or broken. Making peace is not simply Eliminating tensions, but restoring harmonious relationships between members which were apart. Restoring harmony and unity. Friends, you can walk into a church and not experience any tension and, 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 and any friction, any, any conflict. But also, you might not experience any harmony and relationships either. Because people just show up. It's, you, you go in as an anonymous person. Nobody notices you're there. You, you walk in, you stay there for two years, and nobody knows. You don't develop any relationships. There's not even a time, an opportunity to develop conflict, even if you wanted to, because you just don't know people. 
But that's not the kind of harmony. That's not the kind of peace we're seeking. We're seeking to have a peace where there is actual harmony, actual relationships. Friends, let me ask you, do you understand that making peace means making whatever you have to do to restore a harmonious relationship? That's what it means to make peace. Whatever you have to do to restore a harmonious relationship. That's why making peace is not just, let's get neutral. Let's just agree to disagree. You have your ways, I have my ways. We're just going to try not to interact with one another. That is not what we mean by peace, by making peace, and definitely not in a local church. Friends, is there an area in your life where you need to start sowing in peace? Are there relationships where you're not sowing in peace right now? But you might ask yourself, okay, but how do I address the differences I have? How do I bring up an issue without causing more disorder? Here are some things to consider. As you, you, you might have those issues with someone or with some people, with a particular situation. The issue you have, is it caused by the fact that it's not your, way, your own way of doing things? Before you address an issue with someone, examine yourself to see if that issue is caused by your own selfish ambition or caused by bitterness or caused by envy or some sinful desire internally. After examining yourself, uh, you, you, you realize that it's not your selfishness. You realize that it is a, a legitimate thing to bring up. Then address it with a person responsible, not with a person who can't do anything about it. Now with someone who you're just sort of raising support for your issue. You're just raising awareness so others can cheer you up in it. A caution, please do not go to people to talk about your disagreements, people who cannot really solve your disagreement. It doesn't help. Don't do that in your family. Don't do that at work. Don't do that in the church. If you have a disagreement, something that, that bothers you, go and talk it openly with a person who can do something about it. Now, do address an issue. If it keeps bothering you after you've examined yourself, after you, you examine your heart and the motivations of your heart, do not keep it silent. Do address it. And when you address the issue, try to do as much as you can. Do not make it a personal attack. Don't assume evil motivations. Reaffirm your appreciation of the other person or persons. Reaffirm your desire to maintain peace your ongoing love for the other person. And after you state the issue, one of the things you should say, and you can say, is this. And this is a helpful tool. Help me understand better where you're coming from. Just say that. Okay, we have a, I, have a, I have an issue, and I want to understand better where are you coming from. Seek to understand more than simply to state your reasons. And friends, when you talk with someone in that way, let the other person know that even though you're addressing a matter that might be difficult, you want to be an agent of peace. You want to be a peacemaker. Sometimes people say difficult things just to get things off their chest. <laughs> just to get it out there. Or they say difficult things to, to one another just to let them have it. Well, friends, that's not helping make peace. In that moment, the reason what motivates you to say it is not to make peace. It's you just really want them 
to face something, and you're not moving forward, wanting to, to really restore and, and seek harmony. So check your motivation. Even when you have to say something that's hard to say, are you saying it with a desire to bring harmony, to bring restoration? Or are you saying you just sort of laid out there, throw the grenade, and run away? Watch out. Watch out for that kind of destructive behavior. For our members, we have a church covenant that summarizes our commitments, our vows to what it means to belong to one another. And the first two vows of that covenant relate to pretty directly with this whole theme of sowing peace. Let me just read to you the first two um, commitments of this covenant. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That is the first promise we make as members of this congregation. And the second promise recognizes that there will be times when we will have to work hard at making peace. It will not be easy. It will require us to be patient. It will require us to bear with one another. It will require us to forgive one another. The second promise says this, straight out of our church covenant. We will be devoted to one another in brotherly love. With humility and gentleness, we will patiently bear with each other, forgiving encouraging and building one another up, exercising watchfulness over each other and admonishing one another when necessary. Well, friends, we, in the second promise, we recognize that working at making peace, being de devoted to making peace, will require us to exercise these, these other qualities of gentleness and patience and, and forbearance and forgiveness so that when we commit to one another, we commit to being willing to act in that way when necessary. Why? So we can build one another up, so we can admonish one another, so we can encourage one another. Friends, making such peace is hard work. It doesn't come easy. Sometimes it would be just easier to leave things unaddressed. Sometimes it would be just so much easier just to leave. But none of these options are good solutions for making peace. Instead, we must labor hard at the work of making peace. Friends, that was the first point. I'm going to say the second point. I'm just going to develop it next week, actually two weeks from now. But here's the second point about sowing in peace. The first, sow, the first point was the, sowing in peace brings a harvest of, of righteousness. That's the why. But here's the how. Let's work on a little more on the how. Sowing in peace begins with your passions. Sowing in peace begins with your passions. James exposes not only the sad reality of what was going on in these Christians, but James also exposes the source of their fights and quarrels. James looks at, and look at verse 1, first half of verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, when we often look at the cause of fights and divisions and tensions among ourselves, we often find the source in someone else. In a situation, in a circumstance, in what people, someone else is doing or some people are doing, 
You ask two people who are strained in a relationship and are, or are actively fighting or are just in a tense time, and you ask, why is there tension between you? And typically, the answer will be because of what she or he is doing or has done, because of the way they're going about the situation, because of their way of responding. Why are you fighting, James asks. Why is there fights and quarrels among you? It's because of your passions inside of you. You, individually, me, not the other. The source of fights is not the circumstances. The source of division is not the other person or persons. It's me. James says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Yes, the cause of fights and quarrels is not someone else. It's always, always us. It always takes two people to fight. It always takes two people to fight. Notice what James says about these passions. They are at war within you. The reason why there's division and conflict on the outside in relationships is because there's division and conflict inside. Inside us. Now, we may not be easily able to spot out the tension that happens on the, out, uh, on the inside. We may not be able to easily spot out the tension on the inside. We can easily spot out the tension on the outside. It's easy to know. It's easy to even realize. It's easy to see it when it's pretty clear. But friends, it's much more difficult to notice and observe, recognize, and spot the tension and the conflict that happens in our own hearts. And it's much easier to respond to that tension by taking the conflict outside versus dealing with it inside. We should not be surprised by this truth that it, it, there's war and tension inside of us. James, I'm sorry, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 11. Peter writes to Christians, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. There are passions of our own flesh that wage war against our own soul. And, and Peter is not the first one who says it or the only one who says it. Paul says in Galatians 5, he says that the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Inside of us, there's a constant battle between following the things of God, following the ways of God, following the wisdom of God, and following our own selfish, sinful wisdom and desires. So among these Christians, James exposes them that the true cause of their lack of peace is the passions that are at war within them. Oh, friends, I love how one of the commentators said, the struggles that are wrecking the community are the product of their envious desire to get what they didn't have. Let me say that again, because it summarizes well what was going on in James's situation. The struggles that are wrecking the community are the product of their envious desire to get what they don't have. Oh, friends, think how often, think how often, we 
get into fights or disagreements or tensions with someone else because we don't get what we want. Our expectations are not met. Our ways are not executed. Friends, let me say this. We can, we can use force to try to put an end to fighting, to try to put an end to wars, to try to put an end to tensions, but we cannot use force to put an end to our envying, to put an end to our self-ambitions, to put an end to our bitterness. Only the power of the gospel can heal and put an end to self-ambition, to bitterness, to envying. Oh, friends, only when we come to Jesus and understand what he did for us in a fresh way, when we understand in a fresh way what Christ has done for us, we realize that it is not about ourselves. It's not about our will. It's about the will of the Father. Even in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be our name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not mine. Not ours. The will of God. And that will of God, we come to understand it when we see in the most, the best, the, the, the greatest picture of that will of God is displayed and seen at the cross. When God has given His only begotten Son, His only Son, to die the death that we deserved, to, to take upon Himself the punishment, the, the, the guilt that we should have taken, to take upon Himself the separation that was caused by our sin, by our rebellion, so that in the cross of Christ, we see God determined to use the most precious being, His only Son, so that He could make peace between rebellious people, between people who are at enmity with one another and enmity with our Creator, so that through His body, God could make peace between us and God. Well, friends, you realize that at the cross, our self-ambitions, if we understand the cross, our self-ambitions melt. Who'd want to come to the cross still holding on to my way of doing things? Who'd want to come to the cross with my expectations of how I want things to be done? That's why Paul rebuked the church in Corinth that when they celebrated the remembrance of the cross, the Lord's Supper, they came divided. That was such an anomaly. It would have been better for them not to take the Lord's Supper than to take it and yet be divisive through it. Well, friends, at the cross, we come to realize that our sinful ways, our self-centered ways, should melt away. Friends, realize the, the cause of our fights and quarrels, if there are any, at any season of our lives, personally or in our family life, in our workforce, or in our ch especially in our church community, always spurred by the fights within. Our passions within are causing us the damage. This means, dear friends, that we don't get what we want. We, when we don't get what we want, we must realize and pray 
that it is the Lord's will for us and we, God makes us responsible to seek peace and seek to make it in a responsible way, in a, in a healthy way. Neither leaving, that's not the way. Neither trying to be divisive, that's not the way. Neither just being quiet and not addressing it and just letting that fester in. But making peace in a respectful, gentle way in which we work through our difficulties, work through our differences in a way that honors Christ. Oh, friends, we must ask God to give us a joy that comes not by seeing our selfish desires fulfilled. We must ask God to give us a joy that can be given to us even when our ways are not happening. That joy that comes, that peace that comes from God, even when our desires are not satisfied. Friends, can you experience the joy of God even when your desires are not met? You may be able, and we may be able to act in a peaceful way for a while, even if you don't have peace inside of you. But you won't go very long. If you want to sow in peace, you must examine your passions. If there's no peace among your passions inside your heart, you won't be able to act in peace, not for very long. And the peace that we must have is a peace that comes from God, is a peace that God grants us, no matter what happens among us. It's that peace when we are at peace in our heart that we can sow in peace, making peace with others. Friends, in a Christian community, peace with one another always comes as a result of having peace with God. That's why, dear friends, if you are not at peace with God this morning, if you're not a Christian, we call you to respond to God, to turn to Christ, repenting of your sin and, and, and asking God to save you and to grant you the peace that only He can make between you and Him. Without Christ in your heart, you are at enmity with God. God is at war with you. We'll talk more about that next week. But friends, it is possible even for Christians who have made a covenant with God, who have repented and trusted in Christ, to still act in their sinful, sinful, selfish, self-ambitious ways. And when they do that, they are causing a strain of relationship where they are back at being at enmity with God, as James will define for us later in this passage. Friends, realize that sadly for these Christians, their lack at peace with one another was a sign of their worldliness. And because of their worldliness, they were actually no longer living at peace with God. Oh, friends, true peace, sowing in peace, making peace, happens only when we, first and foremost, have peace with God. And when that peace with God is filling our hearts, and out of the heart of peace, we act out in peace and we make peace. So, friends, two things I just want to remind you and review about this responsibility to sowing peace. In Austin, summertime, no one sows anything. And yet, for members at Parkless Baptist Church, I am challenging you this summer. Would, it, would you make this summer to be a summer of lots of sowing for each of us? A sowing in peace. 
in every relationship we're in. Realize, dear friends, that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. May I even say, I know this is, we're right about or before the, the potluck. It's not, the kingdom of God is not a matter of potluck, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. So in peace, because it brings a harvest of righteousness, and so in peace by examining your passions. When we do so, we live out the kingdom of God in our midst. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who desires to exhibit your reign through people who live in peace and through people who are determined to make peace in every circumstance. Oh, Father, we pray, we ask of you, would you make us a conspicuous people who are deliberate and visible at making peace, that we would love making peace, that we would love seeing peace abound. Father, thank you that so far you've blessed us with peace in the life of this congregation. Father, we want to see more of that. We want to see intentionality in that. We want to see more deliberateness of that so that indeed our congregation would be a place of a harvest of righteousness. That we would see a harvest of the fruits of wisdom among us so that indeed your kingdom would be conspicuous among us and through us. In the name of Jesus we pray for his glory and honor. Amen. Amen.